Hello and welcome back to BTA Charity Voices Podcast with me, Anne Hughes. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Helen Carling onto the podcast as we chat about her almost 30-year career in the charity sector and all the work that she's been doing in the homelessness sector throughout her whole career. Helen, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, so I have obviously spoken with you before, Helen, so it's lovely to see you again. And didn't probably really appreciate how long your career in the sector has been. Uh, so what brought you to the charity sector, I suppose, because you had a bit of career before that, didn't you? I had worked in housing for quite a number of years mm-hmm. and I suppose I was attracted to the to the sector because I wanted to do something about particularly the guys that I saw being evicted or losing their tenancies. Mm-hmm. And I saw there was a need for long-term supported accommodation. So that's what attracted me to the sector. Uh-huh. And you worked in housing associations initially, didn't you? And so what was that journey like? What did you discover that you thought, maybe I could do something different? It was great fun. I had spent four years working with the City of Edinburgh Council and I realised I didn't, I was a square peg in a round hole in a very large bureaucratic organisation where you had to ask permission for anything. So the the housing associations that I worked for tended to be smaller, niche, community-based housing associations. They were more nimble, more agile. You could get things done yeah. quickly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then, of course, you are the chief exec of Rowan Alba, so that's 25 years old now. So how did Rowan Alba come to be? Well, I would describe myself as the accidental CEO, mm-hmm. Annie. What happened was I was approached, I, I had four years, I think, at Age Concern Scotland, yeah. and I did housing policy and practice and things like care and repair and opined on, on housing policy. For older people, and one of the things that struck me when I was at Age Concern was that older people were viewed as older. They weren't older with complex needs, so they weren't older with mental health needs. You were just put in a box and yeah. you were older. And I got very interested in sort of reconnecting with the sort of people that I'd seen in my career in housing, often having ongoing difficulties with, with alcohol and possibly losing their tenancies because of that. So when I was at Age Concern Scotland, we managed to get two chunks of money out of the Roundtree Foundation and with a couple of other organisations, we commissioned research into the causes of older homelessness and to look at the, the, the nature of it, the extent of it in Scotland. So they were kind of groundbreaking for their time. And I became kind of known as the expert on older, aged 50 plus. I mean, now that's very insulting, but at the time, <laughs> uh-huh. it, seemed, it seemed a very long way off. So I got talking to an organisation down in London, Bridge Housing Association, and they had specific provision for the sort of folk that I had seen during my career, so I went down and visited them and a few months later just continued to work with them, looking at the models, wondering if we could apply that in Scotland. And then I was offered a secondment from Age Concern Scotland to start up a new organisation in Scotland 
that would basically look to deliver this sort of service for mm. older homeless people. Uh-huh. So was it somebody else's, I, I mean, I know you were instrumental in the whole creation of it, and obviously in the, the research that then led to the conclusions that meant it had to be created, but did somebody else have the idea of this is what it's got to be and you're the person to do it? Or was were you more instrumental in the fact I want to set up a charity? I wanted to do it. The the model I don't believe existed. Right. Until it was set up at Thorntree Street. I had seen similar things, but one of the the, the fundamental difference at, at Thorntree is we give Brown Alba give our folk full Scottish secure tenancies. Now that makes a huge difference. Folk know they can't be thrown out. It's not a license agreement. They don't ask you to leave if you're badly behaved. It's your home for life. And that's the fundamental difference at Thorntree. Uh-huh. And so how important was it to you about the values that were going to be instilled in Rowan Alba as you created it? Because clearly the values are very strong. Just to have you say that, it's a full-life tenancy that people get when they when they come to Thorntree, which is your main place, isn't it? Rowan Alba's main hub uh, or house. And how important was it that you laid those foundations and those values really strongly at the very centre of everything you were going to do? I didn't think about it. Right. It wasn't, I mean, I think it wasn't until 2014, 15, we actually even started to think about our brand or what we were about. Like a lot of the stuff I've done, I've, I've done it. Well, I wouldn't say the phrase I want to use, but I've, I've done it first and then wondered what was that about. And if you reflect on therefore, if you didn't think about your brand and your values and everything until goodness nearly 20 years or something after it was all created what was it all about did you get to that realization yes it, it, the i suppose it was for me it was just based on a very pragmatic understanding of what worked and what didn't having worked in housing for a long time and having seen firsthand people become homeless. When we did eventually do the the exercise, we settled on accept, support and include mm-hmm. as our values. I think one of the things that we continue to get wrong is, is just not ask people what they want or need. When you put people at the centre of it and they're telling you, then I think you're kind of duty-bound to go off and do something about it. The way you chatted about it at the start before Round Alba was created, so much of it was on what you had witnessed, what you had experienced working in the sector, but also on research that you had commissioned. So see that shared learning that you did and that then you would have shared with the organisation you were taught, Bridge Housing Association down in London and with, I'm sure, other organisations. Does that continue to be something that you do, that you share, this is what we do and this is what works? Do you continue to make that a priority? Time allowing, yes, I'm more than happy to share anything. I know I have been banging on about the need for long-term supported accommodation for people that both struggle to to maintain a tenancy. And I'm always happy to speak to anyone that Mm -hmm. that wants to to learn from us because I I can't pretend that when we set up Thorntree initially it was easy going. But we've learned such a lot that I would be delighted to speak to anyone that wants to know more about it. I know that our team leader, um, a very experienced team leader down at Thornbury, has been talking to folk in Wales about the model. We have a Thornbury 2 in the pipeline 
And one of the grant providers for that was Crisis. So we've been talking to them. Uh -huh. the, the models featured in their latest best practice uh -huh. advice. So we're constantly trying to get the, the word out about what a supermodel is. Uh -huh. And it's so important, isn't it, within the third sector that we don't have organisations keep trying to reinvent the wheel and that you actually learn from each other, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's fundamental. You've been talking quite a lot, Helen, about Thorn Tree too, and I'm wondering, what is that? What are the struggles in trying to find accommodation or land or whatever the process is that you've been trying to do to get the second Thorn Tree off the ground? Oh, I'm glad you asked. We looked for a suitable property for three years. We were revenue funded through the RRTP, we spent £33,000 in lawyers' fees trying to lease a suitable building. We lost out on two buildings, two of which went to backpackers' hostels and have now been offered back to the council for bed and breakfast accommodation because there's a lot of money to be made out of homelessness. So myself and a few friends two years ago set up a community benefit society. Yeah. We found a, a four-bed property, which is currently being remade into nine studio flats to do Thorn Tree 2. We raised £710,000 in investment. We've topped that with a mortgage from Charity Bank and £210,000 in grants and trusts. So we're very excited to say that that will open in Edinburgh in August. So it's a classic case of you've got a massive problem, just go around it and create units of accommodation yeah. to give people home for life. And it's the same, I suppose, Helen, isn't it, with any problem that obviously yours is about homelessness and it's about finding land and finding accommodation. But there is that notion of just going round the problem in order to get to the... And that's a message to everybody, isn't it, no matter what your job is in the sector? Yeah, there's there's a, there's always a way that I suppose part of my frustration in the sector is, um, you know, if we could divert the resources to where they are needed and where they're going to have most impact. And I think, you know, the impact of common ground, creating nine homes for life for formerly homeless people, what it will save the public purse, let alone just being better for those people that will be able to live there, is huge for that individual. So Helen, you refer to being an accidental chief executive almost, but what is that role like now? And, and today, you know, we've obviously just emerging from the pandemic. You are a charity that's just over that million pound size now. The second house is in the offing and you've got ambition. So what is that? What is the balance of everything that you're working on just now? You know, what are the, the pressures of the accidental CEO 25 years down the line? I think still too involved in operations. Mm. You know, we're not, like a lot of other folk in the sector, we're not over-resourced. Our turnover will be increasing. We'll have to review our structure. But I would say that one of the biggest challenges is, is having a very flat structure and still mm. too much involvement in operations. And I suppose there's a part of you sort of thinks if we've got a bit of spare money, let's keep it for reserves or let's, our, our reserves are historically at a historically low level. And so it's that speculate to accumulate or invest to 
to make the job easier. Those are the sort of crunch points that we're at as an organisation just now. Yeah, and that being too involved, I'm sure that can be a, a line that lots of CEOs and lots of boards, I think, as well, you know, have that, when do I become too involved and when do I step back and things. Have you thought of a way to solve that for yourself yet? Do you think it's because you are the one of the founders of the organisation, you've been there since the start and therefore it's hard to step back? Or is it just necessity? It's just necessity because the finances were tough. You know, we went from having an office manager and an admin person to having an admin person on reduced hours. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, after after a few years of, of that sort of draft, we just need time to give ourselves a wee pat on the back as a team, yep. sit back. We were going to have a grumble meeting on Thursday in person for real, in real time. Uh-huh. But um, half of the attendees of the four of us have COVID. Oh, so, dear. <laughs> We're going to be doing that online and now that we seem to be pause crossed coming out of the pandemic and we seem to be all safe and well, we're going to have a little inward look and look at those structures, processes and and what we can do better and what we can do less of. Yeah, because it's so vital, isn't it, that we all pause and have that inward look and especially now, I think, as the world starts to move again instead of just running forward that we maybe do take time to pause even though some people will feel as if they've been in pause for two years but it's important to re-establish yourself isn't it about what's working here and what's not so is that a very intentional thing that you guys have decided to do yeah absolutely we had a uh, i think it was quite brave to take on moving head office in between lockdowns yeah and move to breathe hr system move to zero and go paperless uh-huh. and give up an office that we'd had for 17 years so as we come out of the pandemic it just feels like um, we had Rowan Alba phase one where it was all quite easy then we had Rowan Alba phase two where we were skint and we had a look at ourselves then and thought no what we're doing is sufficiently different we'll keep going uh-huh. and I think we're emerging into Rowan Alba phase three yeah. Are you excited about that? Very excited, oh. yeah. And so what are, as, as we sit here just now in 2022, what are your hopes, your ambitions, your thoughts on what is next there for, for Brown Alba definitely, but also just for the sector, I suppose, if you've any reflections, whether that be on the housing sector or the charity sector, you know, what are the priorities that you are shifting about just now? Well, I think I'll, I'll go back to the need for long-term supported accommodation. It's, it's something, having worked in the sector, that I was aware of for a, for a long time. It, it, it's had a bad name, I think, in the past, unfairly. So very much the focus is on developing more of the same mm-hmm. and, and sharing any best practice that we can with anyone that wants to, to do it. Yeah, and do you feel the profile of the organisation could be better, as perfect, you know, as hindered by anything? Do you feel there's more that you could you could do and make sure people know who you are, for example? Because you are quite a small organisation. Certainly, you know, at 1.2 million a year, you're not tiny, but you're much smaller than a lot of the organisations that are working in the homelessness arena. So is there an impact you want to make there? Absolutely, because we have been doing Thorntree for 18 years mm-hmm. and not enough people know about us. Yeah. And not enough people know 
enough about the model. So again, you know, if anybody's listening and want to any further information, it's on our website. I'm mm-hmm. more than happy to talk about the model. And yes, we don't have, I mean, this year we have a small marketing budget, but that's a historic first for us. And has it been, uh, I'm thinking, because I've spoken to you a few times before, that you would say it's been a privilege probably, but what are your thoughts on this career that you've had in Rowanalba in the third sector? You know, has it has it been a good career? I think it's been a great career. You know, most of it accidental. I, I never sat at the back of the English class thinking, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to be a CEO. Uh-huh. Um, that really happened by of being wedded to the cause of, of trying to end homelessness. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've, I'm one of the, I don't get me wrong, I can have the, you know, the odd off day, but it's quite interesting sitting down in the pub talking to pals and they're bored of their job or they're fed up with it or they're just doing it to pay the bills. My salary has helped pay the bills, but for me there's been an awful lot more to it than that. So Helen, if you were to reflect on your career, what have you been most proud of? I would say setting up Thorntree 18 years ago, because at the time I knew it would work, but a lot of people said it wouldn't. And it has, and in in the 18 years, we've safely accommodated 87 gentlemen coming in off the streets who would otherwise still be out there. So it's got to be Thorntree Street. And if you reflect on your career... Helen, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? I think to make a business case for things. So to go back to Thorntree, although Brown and Alba have other wonderful services, but we we commissioned a, a little bit of research a couple of years ago into to Thorntree. And I think it's the right thing to do because it stops people being homeless. And if that was a friend of mine or a member of my family, that's what I would want for them. But we, the research found that for every pound spent in revenue at Thorntree, we saved the public purse three pounds. So if you come to visit Thorntree, I think it's win-win. If it's the money you're bothered about, the public purse, it's a good thing. If you're bothered about the values proposition, it's a good thing. So I think presenting both sides of the argument, the business case, there's a strong business case whether it's a moral or fiscal uh-huh. case that you make. Yeah. And see, when you look at the model, do you, and I know that Rowan Alba specialise in helping older men to, to access proper tenancy, do you think this could work in other sections of society? Could it work for families? Could it work for young people? Is this a model that would work across across the board? Absolutely. It would work across the board and we're currently, um, so the new Thorntree 2 will be ready in July and we're currently scoping out a property to do a similar service for women. Amazing. And how many flats will Thorntree 2 have? Thorntree 2 will have nine flats and Thorntree 3 for women will have between nine and 12 flats, depending on the building. So big expansion on its way then? Yeah. Excellent. That's really amazing work that you guys are doing. What's the best piece of advice that you give time and time again? Obviously, this could be to those within the sector if you spend time with people in the sector, but also you do obviously spend a lot of time helping people who really are perhaps at the lowest ebb that they've ever been at. 
and therefore you offer an interesting insight on what's the kind of pieces of advice that will see us through. Is there something you can think of? Um, I think from a... Well, for me, it's, it's about being connected to purpose. Wonderful. And what do you think? Now, and I, you've said you're a small team, there's only four of you. And one of the questions that I've been asking people to reflect on in this podcast as we start to re-establish ourselves as teams, you know, so many teams we know have people have joined during the pandemic, they've never even met each other in real life. They don't even know how tall each other is. So if you reflect on what makes a good team, what would you say is that magic? What is it that makes them just tick over perfectly when you reflect back on your career? Well, I think, um, I'll be honest, the, the, the best team I've ever had I have at the moment, and there are more than four of us, it's just four of us that should have been meeting right. on Thursday. Uh-huh. Uh, we're a staff team of 38. Wow! Uh-huh. I didn't realise it was that yeah. big. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, we're a staff team of 38. So I think the best thing is about having that shared purpose, but having very different skills and abilities and being, being open and honest about what your skills and abilities are. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I still can't set up a Zoom meeting. <laughs> That's not my skill and ability, but if you wheel me out in front of a, a, a grant or a trust, then nine times out of ten they are persuaded. Yeah. I can't write a decent bid, but I can nurture and support the team to provide a fantastic service. So I, th- so I think... Yeah, the team we have at the moment is just absolutely spot on and a privilege to work with. And as you reflect on that, so you've created this charity 25 years ago, you're now right up to a team of 38, they are all on purpose, and we so often reflect, or I so often reflect, that so much comes from the top down. So are you really aware that to have an organisation that works so well, that is so on purpose, that that sort of had to come from you first? Well, I think I think you only have to look down the road to Whitehall Aye. to understand what sets a culture and what's acceptable and what's not. Mm-hmm. So I, I, don't, I don't know that I would have always have been aware of that, mm-hmm. but I think <laughs> the past couple of years has... Um, underline the importance of walking the walk and not just talking the talk Uh wonderful thank you so much Helen for joining me on the podcast and good luck to everybody at Rowan Alba in this huge time of expansion that you're starting to enter thank you Annie